Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Hyperbaric chambers. Now, you probably heard that in Hawaii. We definitely have a need for this. This is something that has been traditionally associated with scuba diving and people who may, in fact, surface too soon and need to be uh, treated in a hyperbaric chamber. But there are so many other uses for hyperbaric oxygen treatments. And today, I am absolutely excited to be talking with Dr. Susan Steineman. She's got over 22 years of trauma surgery experience. And those folks, I got to tell you, are absolutely amazing. You want to talk about people who can handle anything. I've got somebody right here, Dr. Susan, who can handle anything. She is the Associate Professor professor of Surgery, and she is currently part of the University Health Partners Hyperbaric Treatment and Wound Care Center that is located at the Kuakini Hospital campus. And you are part of this wonderful group that has taken over the hyperbaric chamber to utilize it for much more than what people would think. So we're going to learn about all of that today. I want to thank you for joining me on the show today. Thank you for the privilege. And thanks for not having a trauma surgery to get to, because I'm always amazed at folks who can do what you do, because it, it sometimes is just like the TV shows. It can be. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about what is a hyperbaric chamber. You know, for those of us who might not be completely familiar with what this whole entire device is, how would you describe it? So what we do is deliver pure oxygen at pressures that are higher than what we normally live at, atmospheric pressures. And we do that in a very specialized uh, chamber constructed so that we can raise the pressure inside to multiple times, again, what we experience at, at our normal sea level. And that does a couple of things. One, it shrinks bubbles, uh, which can be important for the dye-related accidents. Uh, but more importantly, it also allows us to give very high concentrations of oxygen into the lungs and then into the tissues, which are critical for healing and fighting infection. So like the air we're breathing right now, about 21% oxygen and at a standard atmospheric pressure. So when you talk about pure oxygen, this would be different than, I know, you know, if somebody were to wear an oxygen cannula or have those little oxygen prongs in their nose, that could deliver more oxygen than the 21% that we're breathing in our air. But we're talking about 100%. 100%. And then we raise the pressure so that we get, depending on how deep uh, we dive the chamber or how much we pressurize it, Uh, to multiple atmospheres. So we typically will give about two and a half or three times what we normally have at atmosphere. So it really increases the oxygen level in the lungs. And is the corollary that if you increase the oxygen level in the lungs, you might also increase the oxygen level in the rest of the body? Uh, Absolutely. And that can be critically important for patients that are at risk for poor wound healing due to lack of oxygen supply. And our the diabetic patients are classic for that, but also patients that have had radiation therapy for cancer. And is it because the blood vessels just don't deliver the oxygen to the tissues because either the vessels have been affected by radiation or maybe those arteries are clogged with other blockages or affected by diabetes-related effects? Uh, the arteries, the blood vessels are certainly part of the problem, but they're also uh, hypocellular, have a lack of cellularity um, in particularly the radiated tissues. So there's many factors. And the oxygen, fortunately, can help reverse a lot of the, the damage that has occurred either from from radiation therapy, uh, or even the side effects of diabetes. 
So describe for me the classic situation where someone would need to utilize this type of treatment. So, you know, other than my naivete thinking of scuba diving, which I've done all of once and wasn't very good at it, but okay. So other than that, this is used in standard medical practice on a fairly regular basis. So what would be a common situation that you might encounter when you are running the hyperbaric oxygen chamber? So the majority of hyperbaric chambers actually serve diabetic population now. Um, for those of you who are diabetics or who have loved ones that are diabetics, you know how we, we keep nagging you about washing your feet and taking care of your skin. And, and for all the right reasons, because a wound on a diabetic foot can become a unhealing, a non-healing wound, and that carries a significant risk for things like losing your limb um, or even death. So not to be too morbid, but um, the hyperbaric oxygen can actually help reverse that process and help the wound to heal and help reverse infection. So if you've got diabetes, one of the things that might go along with that is you may not have good sensation of your feet. So you could have something develop. You could step on something or you could have a small, you know, insect bite or whatever it might be that starts a little process. And then it's, you know, bacteria love sugar. And if you've got some extra in your body, you might have some more sugar that tend to feed these bacteria and they grow. So they could cause an infection. And that infection could lead to serious complications. You know, I know when I see diabetic patients in my office, they often say, I don't want to lose my feet. And I think, well, if that's the first thing you're worried about losing, okay, we'll use that. But you could also lose your kidney function and, you know, your vision and other things. But it's a very visual representation for them of potentially motivation to really work on, like you said, check your feet, watch your sugars, watch your skin. So we're looking at these wounds that could develop from infection, may just develop from some other source. And what is a normal wound healing? So when we talk about non-healing, it's not like, hey, I had a scratch a few days ago, it didn't heal in three days. We're talking about a more prolonged duration of time. Yeah, so any wound, uh, in particular in a diabetic that doesn't heal by a month, is a, a wound to be reckoned with. And uh, the statistics are pretty scary. So patients, diabetics with non-healing foot and leg wounds have about a 1 in 10 risk of dying from that in a year, um, which is, when you think about it, higher than a lot of cancers or even bad heart disease. Or traumas that you might see <laughs> in the emergency room. You know, that's that's huge. Absolutely. So what makes that happen? Is it because they get an infection and the infection goes to the bloodstream? Is it because this particular wound is symbolic of some other process in their body? How do we go from a non-healing wound to, you know, fatality? So it, it is a multifactorial approach. And in any good wound care center, we, we look at multiple facets. So it's it's not just the hyperbaric oxygen. It's also working with offloading so that there's not pressure on the wound. Um, we like to make sure that they don't have any large vessel disease that needs to be addressed by a vascular surgeon, treating infection if present, and then just good local um, or, or wound care to the wound itself. So that would be change your bandages regularly. Don't let your, your skin or your feet get dirty. Make sure that you're putting on clean bandages, just kind of standard stuff that might seem like common sense, but could be a big challenge for some folks. Yeah, and we have uh, some fancier tools at our disposal these days, too. And part of it, uh, or some of it, might just be not doing the things that impair wound healing. 
which could be wearing the shoes that rub on the wound. It could be standing on your feet all day. It could be a lot of different lifestyle factors that could eventually eventually impact that wound healing enough that it could really cause serious damage. Yeah, precisely. And and as an adjunct to all of these other measures, the hyperbaric oxygen can really produce some dramatic results. So in contrast to that statistic I gave you about dying or, or even amputation, which is usually the first uh, bad effect from that, um, with good hyperbaric oxygen and adjunct measures, we can achieve amputation-free you know, survival rates, even in the, the wounds of 90% at five years. That is impressive. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. I'm talking with Dr. Susan Steineman, and she is the Associate Professor of Surgery and part of the University Health Partners Hyperbaric Treatment and Wound Care Center. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about the success stories, why it's so effective, and what other sorts of disease processes can benefit from this pure oxygen delivery. We'll be right back. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. I'm here in the studio with Dr. Susan Steineman, and she is running the University Health Partners Hyperbaric Treatment and Wound Care Center and also has over two decades of experience as a trauma surgeon. We certainly know that trauma can cause wounds that are often difficult to heal. We were just talking a little bit about diabetics and why their particular situation is high risk for having serious comorbidities and complications. And you mentioned that with hyperbaric oxygen chamber use of pressurized oxygen and pure oxygen, you see some significant healing in tissues that might otherwise not have had that same effect. So is every wound a potential treatable wound with hyperbaric treatments? Or are certain select wounds really the target for the type of services that you provide? Well, we like to take care of what I call the wicked wounds, and those are the non-healing wounds in tissues that have suffered from lack of oxygen, um, either through the microvascular disease of diabetes or also quite frequently from radiation therapy for cancer. I like that description. We take care of the wicked wounds. So when you do some of those treatments, how often is it? I mean, I just think logistics. So if somebody gets referred to you, and it's deemed appropriate, they have one of these wicked wounds that needs to be treated. What are the logistics? When we talk about them going into this chamber, it's a couple of hours, it's how often a week. Uh, Granted, everybody's situation might be individualized and different, but on average, what are the treatments like? Well, it is a commitment, and really our patients become kind of like family by the end of a treatment course. So the treatments that we prescribe are typically Monday through Friday, and it's for about two hours every day. Typical treatment plans run about six weeks and sometimes longer, depending on on the patient and the wound. And they go into this chamber. Is the chamber big? Is it small? Is it about the size of... You know, someone's office, is it, do they lay down in there? So we're fortunate to have two hyperbaric centers here in Honolulu, uh, one run by the Queens Medical Center. They have monoplace chambers, which just like it sounds, has uh, one patient per chamber. Um, we also have the great advantage of having a, a lovely multi-place chamber, which is fastidiously maintained by um, Kirk Jamison and David Kikikawa. And... Uh, that accommodates multiple patients, which can include a care provider in there. Um, and 
patients can stand up in that, sit down, lie down sometimes. So they'll be in the chamber, maybe with a caretaker, and they'll be in the chamber for about two hours. Do they feel any different? I would say that it's a lot of patients come out saying that they feel better, but that's not necessarily pure science because the oxygen therapy takes a little while to take effect. Um, it's actually just like diving, but without the water. So uh, for those of you that are scuba divers, you have the experience of clearing your ears, equalizing the pressure on the way down. And we spend some time coaching the patients on how to do that. And so they can read a book. Can read a book, play cards. Watch a meditate. video. Uh, watch a video at the monoplace chambers, which are out. They have a, a TV outside the acrylic chamber. Would it be a problem if you brought in your phone? Uh, yes, it would be because would we, it explode? <laughs> we work in an oxygen-rich environment, so we're very careful about not bringing any energy sources, which could be potentially flammable in that. So back to the good old books. You could read a book. That's. I mean, honestly, if somebody told me. You have got to spend two hours every day, and you've got to read books. I mean, I realize that this seems sort of silly, but sign me up. I mean, that would be great. I would get a lot of reading done, but I certainly don't want to have a non-healing wound, and, and I don't want to be in that situation. So I don't want to minimize the people that are. But in this sort of environment, you mentioned that radiation also could have effect on tissues. Would you be doing these sorts of hyperbaric treatments for someone who's had radiation and now has some secondary effect on their skin because they have an infection or something has happened? Uh, absolutely. And it's not just the skin, but also the bone. And we'll frequently see that for head and neck cancer patients that have had some radiation to their, their jaw. Um, we see it for patients that have had radiation for prostate cancer. They can develop problems like bleeding from the bladder. And so the oxygen treatment helps them? H helps the healing. And it doesn't have to be targeted to that particular area. You're sitting in a chamber, you're breathing this pressurized, purified oxygen, and it's your body that's pumping it through your system, into your lungs, through you know your heart system, to the rest of the body. So it's not like you have to tell the oxygen where to go. It kind of knows where to go. Kind, kind of. And it, it goes everywhere. And so it will tend to have the greater effect on those tissues that are deprived of oxygen and the appropriate healing tissues. But if you had two wounds, it would go to both. It'd go to both. Which, you know, good, because if you have more than one, that would be an ideal situation. So diabetics benefit, people who might have radiation, skin changes benefit. Are there other folks who would benefit from this type of wound care treatment? Well, we also use it to fight infection. So there are certain types of flesh-eating bacteria, for instance, that could benefit from hyperbaric oxygen because oxygen is a very critical part of fighting infection and in recovering from that. Um, there, there has been some experimental work um, done in things like traumatic brain injury, PTSD, but we're really just scratching the surface on potential uses for hyperbaric oxygen. And why is that? Are we just not doing enough research nationwide? Is it limited in the availability because it's only located in certain places that people can get it? I think all of that contributes. Um, as you might expect, it's also difficult to construct the experiment where people get the what we call the placebo, which is they think they're getting hyperbaric oxygen, but they're not really. So it is quite the undertaking to do good controlled experiments. But that's how we move the, the science forward. So potentially we could do this in the future, but at this point, let's utilize the chambers for the treatment that we know that it actually helps. Do you see any sort of future 
thoughts. You know, you mentioned PTSD and traumatic brain injury. Really, it makes me think that any tissue that has suffered an anoxic injury, meaning not enough oxygen to that tissue for any period of time, could potentially be a treatable condition for which this purified oxygen delivery in a pressurized format could could help them, that honestly, the treatment options are endless. I think it's really exciting to think about that. Uh, quite honestly, I would just be very uh, grateful if we could get all the patients that could benefit from what we know as existing indications for hyperbaric oxygen uh, into our chambers, because I do think that we're underusing it a lot. So what are those approved conditions? We know it's non-healing wounds and diabetics. We know it might be radiation treatment or effects from radiation treatment in various locations. You mentioned prostate cancer, bladder bleeding. You mentioned head and neck cancers, which can also be quite disfiguring as well. Are there a standard list of indications? Uh, There sure are. The Undersea and Hyperbaric Medicine Society actually comes out with a list of indications that are very well-researched, controlled trials, just like I discussed. So what are those? What are the ones that we haven't yet discussed? Well, I think that, uh, quite honestly, a lot of the wounds, uh, we're under-treating our diabetic population. So we estimate that there's about 3% of patients um, uh, in in the state that have non-healing wounds that might benefit from hyperbaric treatment. Um, you know, it's a commitment, and I think just getting the word out there and getting people to recognize that, you know, you don't have to be a skilled scuba diver to come get treatment in the chamber. Yeah. Who's seeing these patients? Do you think they're predominantly seeing maybe podiatrists or primary care doctors or vascular doctors or maybe nobody? Are we are we identifying a need in a population that may not even have regular care, let alone highly skilled wound care? Yeah, so I, I think you make a good point that a lot of times they're seeing a lot of different practitioners. And sometimes it's just hard to get the big picture, look at it all, um, and say, well, even though we're giving the best of care uh, from our podiatrist and our vascular surgeon that it's all not working, the wound's still not healing, is there something else that we can do to help? Could any of these, and I, I just sort of think about, you know, I have a couple of patients that I know who have issues with really bad peripheral vascular disease, really bad peripheral arterial disease in particular. So they've got really difficult time getting blood flow to their extremities, particularly in these cases to their lower legs. And they don't necessarily have major wounds, but sort of areas that could potentially, they're very thin-skinned, they've had previous infection, could potentially be a dangerous location in the near future. Is there ever a way to use this in sort of a proactive, preventative way before they get infection? It's intriguing to think about that, um, but we don't have the data to support that. But we do absolutely use it uh, post-op sometimes. So the the first step is to make sure that the big blood vessels are working, and oftentimes the patients do need vascular surgery. But hyperbaric oxygen can also be used when that vascular surgeon does everything right and the, the, the wound or the flap doesn't heal. So we will use hyperbaric oxygen in that setting. And that can be a nice adjunct. Well, lots of areas we need to research. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Susan Steineman, and she is running the University Health Partners Hyperbaric Treatments and Wound Care Center Hyperbaric Chamber. We're learning about what are some of the potential utilizations for this and who are the folks that really could benefit that may not know it's out there and may not know that this could be particularly helpful for them.
It is a commitment, but one that a lot of folks might be willing to make if they heard the success stories that we're talking about today. We'll be right back talking about some more of these indications, and uh, we hope you're listening. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training, Moyer Financial, and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathy Kozak here with Dr. Susan Steineman. And we're talking about hyperbaric oxygen chamber treatments. What is the benefit and what are some of the future potential resources that we could consider or ways that we could use this resource? And, you know, we were just talking a little bit about ways that you could use it. You know, I mentioned people who have blood vessel issues, arterial issues to their legs. But there's also vein issues and people who have... uh, difficulties with peripheral vascular disease, and it's more of a venous origin. And they also get these sorts of wounds where instead of having issues getting blood flow to the leg, they have issues getting blood out of that leg. And those types of wounds often become chronic. Would they also respond well to highly pressurized oxygen delivery? It depends a little bit on the patient. So more classically, we would look for the arterial wounds or the, the, the wounds that are more on the feet. But there are cases when the venous wounds, if they become chronic, can be helped. Well, and it's hard because sometimes one of the key elements of treating a vein wound would be compression. But if you have arterial disease, one of the things you don't want to do is put so much pressure on that area, you can't get the blood flow there to begin with. So it's this catch-22. It's often a bit of a balancing act. I think some folks, unfortunately, have both the artery and veins involved in this vascular process. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned postoperatively. What would be the sort of operations where someone could benefit from this kind of treatment? So we'll typically uh, think about it in in emergency situations where somebody has a, a flap, and that's where they've moved tissue to cover up um, an area that's non-healing or even something like an amputation. And sometimes, like I said, everything is done right by the surgeon, but just the blood supply isn't quite optimal to heal that wound. What about things like burns? Um, so we do use it in burns, or some centers do use it in burns. We don't see many burns here, so that's one of the reasons why we probably don't see many at the chamber, but it has been used for that. Yeah, I would think if you have, we talk about flaps, and one of the areas where you would have skin grafts or you might have flaps that would need to cover an area might be somebody who has significant damage from burns. And granted, that burnt tissue cannot necessarily recover with oxygen, but what we're trying to do to cover it to provide some sort of skin flap or skin graft could potentially benefit if it wasn't taken completely. Absolutely. But as you mentioned, you know, I guess, would you ever be doing these sorts of treatments in someone who's still in the hospital? I would think that it would be ideal for the ambulatory population, folks who could walk into the hyperbaric chamber and could go home from. But I would imagine there may be some inpatient uses as well. Uh, we can, and you're right, it is easier if people can walk in the chamber. But the nice thing about having the large multi-place chamber is we can bring in gurneys and other care providers in with the patient. So. Now, the other thing I don't think we see very much here, and that just is due to the beauty of our climate, is carbon monoxide poisoning. That may occur in situations where people have inside heaters or heat that is delivered into their home, particularly during the winter. Uh, But that can happen in major fires. And I know that that, you know, we had some condominium fires and disasters over the last, you know, Boy, about a year or so. And people who are exposed to a lot of smoke could also have a situation where they might have a high level of carbon monoxide 
exposure because they're breathing it in. Would that be another potential utilization of this? It's one of the primary treatments for carbon monoxide poisoning. It's probably the most effective treatment. So uh, we can give 100% oxygen on land, but again, if we put them in the chamber, then we greatly increase the concentration of oxygen, which helps get that nasty uh, carbon monoxide off the hemoglobin. So it's actually one of those indications that we might not see here a lot in the islands because we don't need heaters generally in the winter. We have wonderful weather all year round, but it is something that would be an indication if that were to be the case. Yes. We've talked a little bit about some of the diabetes wounds. We've talked about folks who might have issues with radiation exposure. You mentioned that if someone had you know, prostate cancer and had bladder bleeding, how would that respond well to oxygen treatment? Is it because the radiation not just attaches or, or affects the prostate, it affects nearby tissues? Yeah, so the bladder living near the prostate gets affected. And uh, our radiation oncologists are superb, and they've done a great job really targeting the radiation, but it, it, there's not avoiding kind of the surrounding tissue effects of it. And the radiation effects, unfortunately, tend to occur over a long period of time, and, and they typically get worse rather than better. So um, patients are, are, are excited that they're cured of their cancer, but then sometimes these other complications crop up uh, months or even years after. And thus, if they identify that it's a problem, and they may know that that could be an indication, or their their treating providers know that that could be an indication for use of hyperbaric oxygen chambers, they could potentially be referred to your location so that they could get more assistance. Yeah, and, and we'd love to see them uh, early on because it's a great non-invasive treatment, and sometimes we can avoid them having to progress to more dramatic surgical options. Now, is it expensive? It It's very resource intensive. So even in the hyperbaric chamber, not only do we have to maintain the chamber, but it requires a minimum of four nurses and physicians to, to maintain and operate that chamber. So it's it's um, uh, less expensive, certainly, than having to suffer an, an amputation or a long hospitalization. So there is a cost involved, but insurance, given the situation and the potential indications, would cover for, for that treatment if it was medically necessary. Yeah, our healthcare insurers have been very good about covering patients because they, too, see the benefits of avoiding uh, complications like amputations. Yeah, and I definitely know patients see the benefits of avoiding amputation. So not only it's good to know that not just the physicians identify it, the patients identify it, their providers identify it, and also insurance is involved in that decision-making process as well. How do people find out more? Well, uh, there are some good websites, uhms.org. We're also happy to answer questions at our Hyperbaric Treatment Center. Um, that number, if I can give it, is 587-3425. Um, people are allowed to come by for a tour if you set that up ahead of time. So if somebody says, I'm really scared, I've been referred for treatment, they still have an opportunity to sort of see what it's like. We spend quite a bit of time orienting people to the chamber environment. We do the coaching in terms of learning how to clear the ears. And I would say that uh, a lot of our patients really find it an enjoyable experience. Well, and I think that idea of taking a look, you know, we all have this preconceived idea in our head of what it might be like to be in that situation. But just to take that fear element out of that and say, here's what it's going to be like. And, you know, the one thing I always try and express to folks, if you're really worried, give it a try. You don't have to commit. I mean, I'd love to have you commit to, you know, six weeks of intensive treatment, five days a week. But if you can't do that, commit to tomorrow, going there and doing it one day. 
And if you can do it one day, maybe we can work on committing you for the next day, the next day. And once you start to visibly see improvement in that wound, it's going to be motivational or improvement in whatever the symptoms may be. You mentioned that it takes about that long. Average amount of wound healing, amount amount of time that it would take is about the six-week mark? Yeah, some wounds are more complex, may take a little longer, but about that time frame. And so if you can commit, if you've got a really bad wound and you need to be treated for this, and you've been told that you might have amputations or serious complications or further infections, this would be a great thing to do. And you can still be treating the wound with antibiotics or other sorts of, of treatments at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's an, an adjunct to other conventional treatments. So it's in addition to, not instead of, and often can help augment the healing process of the primary problem. Yeah. Fantastic. I really want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. That's Dr. Susan Steinemann, and she's the Associate Professor of Surgery at the University Health Partners Hyperbaric Treatment and Wound Care Center. If you'd like more information, you can always click on our podcast. We'll be available in the HPR app. You can also listen to hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links. You'll see us on a podcast body show. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. Thank you.